Welcome to the Staking Defense Podcast, a show where we talk to validators and key stakeholders in the crypto infrastructure world. My name is Kevin, and I'll be your host. Staking Defense aims to offer candid discussions about the state of decentralization and use the validator perspective to shed light on what is happening under the hood of some of your favorite protocols. We've got a mission, the same unifying vision that brought a lot of us into crypto. So while the term decentralization feels a bit tired at this point, it's something we want to promote and protect with these conversations. Today, I'm speaking with Lucas Bruder, co-founder and CEO of Gito Labs. Gito is at the forefront of MEV research and infrastructure on Solana, and have recently released an open source version of the Solana client, aptly named Gito Solana which allows anyone to participate in MEV on Solana. Staking Defense and Chainflow co-founder Chris Remus also joins to help us discuss the current state of MEV on Solana and some ways of thinking about these essential issues into the future. Uh, Lucas Bruder from Gito Labs, thank you for joining us on the Staking Defense podcast. We also have Chris Remus founder of the Staking Defense podcast. Um, so happy to have you two with me and uh, talk about Gito and MEV and the state of blockchain infrastructure on Solana and really uh, writ large and dig into some of those topics. Uh, I guess to start, let's get the, the intros out of the way. Lucas, I'd love it if you could give us a little bit of your background and how Gito came into being and, and sort of why Gito came into being. Yeah. So. Yeah, my name is Lucas Bruder. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Gito Labs. We're trying to solve this MEV spam problem on Solana. Diving into like a short background, been in like crypto since like 2017, kind of towards the end of the cycle. Stayed along, like kind of stayed up to date with everything as like 2018, 2019 happened. Started to see some people like continue to build and develop. Uh, the systems that they're working on. End of 2020, found out about MEV. I think it was Dan Robinson's forest about the Dan Robinson's article about the dark forest. Now there's like MEV bots waiting on Ethereum to like extract money and kind of just fell down this like rabbit hole that I never came out of about MEV. Mm. So, uh, yeah, like I guess late 2020, wrote an MEV bot on Ethereum. Did okay. Um, very competitive at the time, even more competitive now with flashbots out. And then, yeah, found Solana, did a Solana hackathon, f- fell in love with the experience and like the user experience. It's just super fast, super cheap, kind of just the stuff that users want to like experience when they interact with like any system. Yeah. After the hackathon, kind of this theory that. Uh, Solana would see a lot of the same spam problems that Polygon and BSC had at the time where you just had like people trying to arbitrage and front run and just like spray transactions and like fill up the blocks. And so uh, kind of started brainstorming, met up with my co-founder Segfault Doctor, and we kind of like flushed the idea out a little more and then started building in like mid-2021. And uh to kind of keep going with the the context setting. So maybe uh, for our listeners who are probably familiar with MEV, but maybe more in the Ethereum context, would love mm-hmm. uh, if you could provide a little bit of 
kind of the development and history of MEV on Solana, knowing you guys have put out the first open source kind of MEV client. Um, you yeah. know, so sort of the, the history beginning and, and then where we're maybe at today. Yeah. When we started Gito, uh, I don't, the, the spam problem wasn't that severe. Like, uh, it really started picking up, I would say like January 2022 is like when it started really going crazy. Maybe it's 2021. I don't know. I'm losing track of time here, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so it basically started out as like people spamming trades. So Solana used to run on UDP, which is a right. uh, it's a connectionless protocol. Basically, you just you know it's like I'm trying to think of like a good analogy for like a non technical person. I guess it's like basically like I would just like yell my trades to you over this like microphone, and you would kind of just like pick up whatever you can, and you'll probably like drop some stuff. And like, forget what people said. Um, so like people were just kind of spraying trades at validators, some issues with like an outage from like a kind of like a DOS bug that wasn't fixed. So yeah, like a lot of spamming. Solana Labs saw kind of what was happening, started doing research, discovered Quick, and Quick is like a connection oriented UDP. So basically, you know, I can start. To, to use the same analogy, I can start kind of like yelling my trades at you and you can say like, wait, hold on, like I need to like process these or like slow down or like you're sending too many. I'm going to like just like mute you. So that helped a lot with the issue. And then they, they added priority fees as well. So now there's like some uh, system to like attempt to order these trades based on how much you're willing to pay which hasn't existed until that point on Solana. So everything was a flat fee. So yeah, now you, now you have quick live priority fees live. It's helped a lot as far as like the number of transactions that are being sent, but there's still a issue of like this block space being used that we can dive into later. Yeah. And it's interesting. You brought up uh, polygon and BSC, you know, just thinking about the dynamics uh, and differences of, low fee blockchains and how MEV operates on those versus, you know, something like Ethereum where you have a little bit more of a, a risk of, uh, you know, failing transactions and when yeah. gas heats up. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I think, uh, it's basically like an easy way to think about it is like on Ethereum, a searcher, you know, your gas fees, let's just say your gas fee is like $20 or something on Ethereum. Uh, you're not going to spam like, hundred trades trying to win something because you're gonna burn like two thousand dollars. So yeah, like on Solana it's like a hundredth of a penny. So basically any any money making opportunity that you see where you can make more than a hundredth of a penny, you're gonna send a trade for. And you'll probably send like multiple trades if that's like the best best way for you to like land your trade. So yeah, similar on like BSC and Polygon where the fees are like super cheap. There's uh I'm not aware of any protocol doing something similar to like Flashbots or Gito on BSC, but there is uh, like Polygon Fastlane is on addressing similar problems on Polygon to like Austin Flashbots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I do want to move into kind of MEV externalities and how you guys think about that and the development of the software that you're putting out. But before I do, I wanted to open the floor for Chris. I don't know if you have kind of 
intro or context setting questions you want to ask Lucas uh, or really anything uh, based on kind of where we're at in the conversation? Yeah, I did have one question and it's something I've actually admired about the Jito team since we've met, you know, being really smart people, you know, and knowing a lot about MEV. I don't know that I was surprised, but I have to say one of the things I've admired is that you've come together to, I think, as you said, it solved the MEV problem as opposed to, you know, contribute more to the problem. And I was wondering, you know, what thought process, if any, went into that, or, you know, it was just an obvious thing based on your own values. And you happened to meet Segfault Doctor too, and he shared those values. And together you realized that you can, you could be more helpful than you could do harm, you know, if you just kind <laughs> yeah. of sat in the background and, you know, maybe tried to be on the other side of the, of the fence on this. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think like, after participating in the Solana hackathon, I think it's hard like not to fall in love with Solana after you use it. You know, you go to Orca or Jupiter or some other dApp and you like send a trade or make a transfer or something and it confirms immediately. Like what's not to love about that? So, um, yeah, after like experiencing that and then kind of seeing what happens on like BSC and Polygon, it's like, I want to. I want to see Solana succeed. I kind of have this theory that this is going to be like a big issue on Solana. Pretty, I got extremely lucky finding like Segfault Doctor and him and I linking up, like been an amazing co-founder, amazing CTO, uh, share a lot of the same values on like wanting to see Solana succeed. I think the, the Solana Labs team and the jump team now with Fire Dancer and like the protocol, I think is like top notch and has really been thought through. It's so, like wanting to see that succeed is just like been pretty important for us from the beginning. And yeah, I think like the main issue right now is like solving the, the MEV spam on Solana. Um, there's a lot of other angles that you can like attack MEV from, but I think like the most critical one for us right now is just to try to reduce the spam. Yeah, and that's fantastic. And I would just say that I think it's really inspiring to to see a team put the protocol first. And I think there's some really great builders on Solana who are doing that. And one of the things I think we're trying to do through the Staking Defense League is also, you know, put the put the Staking Defense League in staking and then turn the protocols we support first, you know, which may mean, you know, taking a step back ourselves. Uh, so one of the reasons that we were excited to have you on was because we re- really felt aligned with your values, you know, as they fit into what we're trying to do with the sticking defense league as well. So thanks for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And and before we move into some of those kind of externalities and, and MEV spam that, that y'all are looking to solve, uh, actually just for my own knowledge and maybe for some folks who aren't as close to the metal. Um, so knowing that, that jump has stepped in with the uh, fire dancer and, uh, you know, kind of some of the, the updates and efficiency gains that, that, that brings, how, how can you compare fire dancer and, and the, re- uh, relationship between fire dancer and the Gito Solana client and how they kind of, uh, work together? Yeah. So Gito Solana, which is our like Mav enabled, uh, Solana validator client that we contribute to was based very heavily on the work of Solana Labs. It's, uh, you know, 99.9% of the code in Gito Solana is the same as Solana. So, um, yeah, there's kind of like the Solana Labs out client. Ours is like 
little extra flavor, some extra features on top of that. And then Fire Dancer is a, another implementation of a validator client that's being written by Jump Crypto. So, you know, Jump, Jump Trading has been around for a while now. They're kind of probably one of the top trading firms in the entire world, you know, super, super knowledgeable about like computer architecture, you know, like super, super deep in the weeds, like, you know, caring about how memory is laid out and what caches you're hitting and just like crazy, crazy high frequency trading skill set. So they are building a validator client from scratch written in C and yeah, it's like, you know, it'll speak the same language as Jita Solana and Solana Labs validator client, but hoping that, you know, it'll have a different dependency chain. It will have different implementations internally, but still speak the same language to other validator clients. So hoping that will kind of, uh, you know, prevent some, prevent some downtime, add some more diversity and decentralize the Solana protocol more. Great. Thanks for that. So uh, on the topic of kind of MEV externalities and the the heart of the MEV spam problem on Solana and how you guys are addressing it, could you kind of walk us through the thinking there and how you are approaching that problem? Yeah. So I think it's worth like maybe zooming out and like, mm-hmm. or like talking more about like why do people spam? Why does this exist in the first place? Why are, why have searchers kind of like gotten to this being the best strategy to land trades? Yeah. I guess like starting there, like Solana is unique protocol that there's like no mempool. So trades are sent directly to the validator. Um, and then trades are like executed essentially live and streamed out. So, you know, on Ethereum, a block is emitted every 12 seconds or 11 seconds. And on Solana, there's kind of just like this constant stream of transactions. So what ends up happening is that there's the the ordering mechanism on Solana is where my trade lands in a block is kind of a combination of like what priority fee I choose, what the latency is between me and the validator and like my processing. And then there's a lot of luck involved there too. Like um, on this validator roundtable, conversation yesterday there was a searcher that said they can send you know i'll send 10 trades with different priority fees i expect them to be ordered this way but if you actually look to see the way that they're ordered it's completely different from what you'd expect so it's kind of this like prob- probabilistic nature to how transactions are ordered on solana so what happens is like when you see an arbitrage let's say that like chris makes a trade on orca he sends that to the validator executes it they send out this like new state. Um, every searcher sees it at a different time. Every searcher has their own latency. Every searcher thinks there's like a, let's just, let's just say that a searcher thinks there's a 10% probability trade, 10% probability of a certain transaction landing. So they, you know, everyone's responding at a different time. Everyone's sending different priority fees. Everyone's sending the same thing multiple times. And that's kind of how you end up with the spam. Looking at that, we basically tried to build a system that guarantees searchers ordering uh, of their transactions. So they can actually get a little more flexible in the way that they specify like what they want the ordering of the transactions to be. 
So instead of having this like probabilistic uh, transaction landing model, it's like 100% guaranteed where it's like, I can say I want trade A, B, C, and D to land. I want them to land in this order. Exactly. And then you kind of remove that spam piece of it. And and so with that, you effectively can kind of solve this inefficiency that exists in how these searchers are trying to accomplish their end goal, which is just, you know, order profitable transactions. Um, yeah. That sounds like a, a step one. The kind of step two that I'm interested in talking about is, okay, we've removed a lot of the inefficiency from the system or, or along that roadmap. Uh, mm-hmm. What then are the considerations about, okay, so now people can order transactions to make themselves profitable. How do we address yeah. the kind of the issues that that implies? Yeah. So I think there's a few things there. Um, one would be like, where is that money going? So like our stakers seeing the uh like profits or are they are they seeing the uh money that the validator is making being distributed to them so i think that's like an important piece that we also had to build essentially like how do you get this money from uh these like bundles that are profitable from like validators and get them to stakers and all that so that was one piece of it i think another like important piece is like um, you know, are these now that we've built this, like what is the impact on what users are doing? Have we kind of like unlocked this uh system that didn't exist before where like maybe users are getting worse pricing? So like that's something that we're keeping a close eye on too. Like, are users better off because of the system or worse off? Do we need to like kind of address that problem as well? And I mean it's something that we're keeping an eye on and um, pretty optimistic that it's not going to be a problem, but you know, it is like without users, I guess Solana wouldn't be anything without users. So like they're an important audience to like keep track of. Yeah. Chris, go, go ahead and chime in. I think one thing that came to mind as we were talking about this is that I guess as I would understand it, you know, searchers can. Uh, send these types of transactions without having a relationship with validators. But from what I understand, yeah. uh, searchers might have relationships with individual validators as well. So I've always thought of the Gito client as, I mean, I would always say it is democratizing access to, to MEB tools. And I wanted to know, yeah. you know, am I far off in thinking about it that way? Because you know, what I've always thought about is the smaller independent operators that, you know, we don't have the resources to build this type of thing in-house, which puts yeah. us at a disadvantage when it comes to larger validator operators. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really appreciative of, of this type of tooling you know, from that perspective. So I yeah. was wondering if you could say a few things just about that overall perspective about the individual relationships that some people may have that may give them an edge and how this really levels yeah. the playing field for everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's... Also, that's extremely important as well. Like, you know, with, with our system, you, as Chris can attest to, they're, they're running the Gita Solana client and they just download it and run it and kind of give it access to this like open market of like searchers. So like being able to provide any validator, no matter of stake weight, the same access to searchers that some of the large validators have that have a lot of stake weight. 
is like pretty important to us as well. Cause then you kind of have, you know, every validator's earning roughly the same amount of MEV. Every validator is kind of growing their stake at roughly the same weight. It could end up in a world where like these extremely large validators have kind of the resources to run like internal searcher operations or have the engineering knowledge on like how to modify something so that they can make a little extra money. And we're kind of like doing that for validators and providing it as open source software. So anyone can run it, Chris, to like large institutional validators to like some 18 year old kid that's trying to start a validator business. Like anyone can access these tools and get access to this like open market of searchers that essentially like have all their own specializations and what type of MEV they do. Yeah. And, and I want to uh, circle back and double click on the like value chain that you touched on a little bit before, right? So the idea being we've reduced some of the spam in the network, efficiency gains there. You touched a little bit on how we're pushing the value being extracted by searchers through validators with the open source client folks more folks having access to that tooling down to stakers how are we kind of what i imagine and, and please correct me if i'm wrong is more of kind of social idea that you should be like from a business perspective offering this to your stakers to them participating in this value that's a supply and yep. demand type thing and then you know then i wonder about sort of the end users cuz obviously any sort of progressive decentralization of be it a protocol or something as kind of as specific as as mev you know you you push from the the initial people like who are who are really doing the action and and down that value chain so so say we kind of have increased the uptake of the percentage of MEV going to stakers, you know, does that lead us to a world where the users are sort of uh, subsidizing the stakers and that creates the, and that's the dynamic and can we push past that or wondering your uh, overall thoughts on that, you know, value chain in MEV. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like where to start on that. So, yeah, I mean, like, if you are participating as a staker in like a protocol, I think there's a lot of values that you look for in an operator. Um, you know, you want someone that kind of, some people are, care a lot about decentralization, staking to a large number of small validators. Some just care about like high APY. Um, I think that like MEV is an important piece of this as well. And I think it's important that users see some of that, I think it will encourage more users to stake Solana if they can get a higher APY. And that just results in like, you know, validator companies seeing higher revenues, like individual operators seeing higher stake. Um, you know, they can use that to potentially buy a better hardware. You might see more validators come online because it suddenly, if you're making like 10 or 15% more a year from MEV, then it kind of encourages more people to consider starting a validator operation. Um, on the other hand, like, you know, we don't want some, there are certain types of MEV that take money away from users and maybe, uh, maybe they've configured like their slippage incorrectly on the front end and things like that. But, um, 
you know, that's something that you want to keep an eye on as someone building these systems and make sure that you can try to minimize that where you can or educate people on how to minimize that um, where possible. So things like, you know, making sure there's warnings on front ends if the slippage is too high or, uh, you know, trying to teach people like what are MEV bots looking for? What do you need to be careful about when you're sending trades onto Solana? Thanks for that. Um, so one thing I also wanted to ask you about is um, as you guys are developing the Jito software and the Jito client, um, how do you think about the role of validators in MEV? Is it, you know, simple as running the Jito client and helping test? Like how can validators be a proactive part of the MEV solution and, and, you yeah. know, especially values aligned folks like our, our, ourselves who ultimately, what do we want? We want censorship resistance. We want, you know, the least extractive user experience uh, delivered by these blockchains. It's really that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that like validators need to be aware of MEV and like uh, certainly be educated on it. I think that we can do like Jito and uh, other people working on MEV can do a lot more education around that to validators, but also, um, you know, general education around the MEV problem is super important. Um, and yeah, I think that like the best thing that validators can do for MEV on Solana, in our opinion, is to run Jita Solana and also like hold us accountable to like our values and your values and give us feedback on what you want to see in an MEV client. Um, but yeah, I mean like this isn't possible without validators. Like we can push this as much as we want and uh, it's ultimately like up to validators if they want this to be a thing or not. So I think that like giving us feedback and challenging us in uh, questioning us on like why we do certain things is important to understand where we're coming from, but also like uh, for us to understand the the values that you care about as a validator, so we can address that in the system. Chris, I'm wondering if uh, you have, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have some thoughts there uh, on the validator perspective, <laughs> especially within Solana. So, give you the floor. Yeah, no, the one thing that came to mind, I think, is to emphasize that. You know, at least since we switched, we haven't noticed an operational impact really at all. So to anybody who might be wondering whether or not uh, they should switch clients, you know, at least in our experiences, it's very similar um, and really almost no different than running the core Solana client itself. I think, you know, it's building a, diff- a different binary and the, the Jito team has been super helpful and available in terms of support and possibly updating the startup file. Uh, but other than that, it's been a been a really consistent experience with running the core client. So anybody out there who's been running the core client and is considering running the Keto client, I guess my suggestion would be, you know, don't be scared away because you're you're not sure if it's going to be a bigger lift than what you're already doing because so far, at least in our experience, it hasn't been. So it That's seems good, yeah. to us like a, yeah, it seems to us like quite a bit of benefit for for very little, very little additional overhead. Yeah, it's been a good ratio. I mean, 
Yeah, we've gotten uh, that's good to hear. We've gotten that report from a lot of people. I mean, there's anywhere from, I mean, you guys run validators across a lot of networks. So you're very experienced in this. And then we've had people that they only run a Solana validator. They just started and they're somewhat familiar with the command line run them. So um, it's definitely, it's not as easy as setting up the Solana Labs client, but it's, uh, it's very easy and probably takes like five minutes to switch over. I wanted to, to go a little bit into the, your perspective on kind of the searcher ecosystem and uh, where you're seeing a lot of like the, the research taking place within Solana and its own kind of nuances and where people are spending a lot of their time uh, Mm -hmm. thinking about and like how that, that is uh, developing now that there's, more democratized access and that's probably more competition that there's that there's been and see yep. how that's yeah shaking out. Yeah. I mean most of the MEV that we're seeing right now on Solana is arbitrage. So a trader will see a price difference between two exchanges and arbitrage them to uh make the price the same and then they keep the profit. Um so yeah, what you're seeing, like especially with Quick now, is that it's been a little harder for searchers to compete. Quick has done a lot to uh, reduce the the spam and like the transaction overload. So um, seeing searchers get very creative in the ways that they send transactions now. So you have um, people like people are like forwarding. It's getting a little into the weeds, but like for, for one instance, there's 2000, there's 2000 spots for staked validators to send transactions to other validators. And then there's 500 spots for unstaked connections. There are probably, I don't know off the top of my head, I want to say there's probably like 3000 staked validators. So like a thousand validator excess there. And then there's like, you know, probably like two or 3,000 non-staked validators. So there's 500 buckets. So that's like 1,500 spots. So you kind of have all these machines that are like fighting for these spots. And what you're seeing traders do now is like forward their trades through staked machines so that there's a higher chance that it's already connected in one of those spots. So you're, you're kind of seeing that... Um, you're seeing like some traders, some traders continue to spam. The spam problem is like way better. And, um, but you're still kind of seeing that. And then something that we've seen more recently that Max at Mango pointed out to us is that, um, there are searchers that really understand how Solana works and are doing sending transactions that slow other searchers down. Um, I don't want to get like too specific about that because I think it's like not very good for Solana for people to be doing that. But, um, yeah, if you, if you look on chain, you can kind of see searchers like waste compute units and kind of like attack each other to slow each other down. So it's just like not what we want to see in like a healthy network. So, you know, as Gito, Gito has been like, we've really been fighting this like chicken and egg problem for the past. Uh, I guess three months, three or four months now. And so we're starting to see more searchers get onboarded and start to see them send bundles. 
So you're seeing like there's another, there's a bundle that landed, I think on one of our validators like two or three days ago that tipped $300. So it's pretty cool to see like the beginning of people like start to arbitrage and use our system to arbitrage. Um, But yeah, like I think the main thing that we're doing right now is trying to kind of solve this like, it's like a chicken and egg and cold start problem where you know, you have this like two-sided marketplace and similar like what Uber was dealing with. Like, you know, you have a lot of driver, you have, you need drivers, you need riders. Like how do you kind of coordinate these two things together? Like we have trying to coordinate validators and searchers. Validators want to see like more revenue. They want to see like less spam on the network. Um, at 16% blocks being produced, it's like starting to make more sense for searchers. But for a searcher to like, integrate the system and spend the time like you to learn bundles and use it. They want to see like more blocks being produced where bundles are possible. So like, you know, at 5%, it's a really hard sell for searchers. Like, Hey, use the system, better reliability. They're like, Oh, well, it's only, it only runs 5% of the time. Validators, they want to see like, Oh, like how much money, how much extra money can I make? It's like, well, like nothing because searchers are waiting for you to like run it. So, uh, that's been like a super hard struggle, uh, for us. Um, luckily we can like point, point to flashbots and show the success that they've had as far as like reducing the amount of spam. But, um, you know, as more validators get online and, uh, we'll start to see more searchers use bundles and start to kind of change our strategies to where it's like, less spam focused and more about uh, submitting like efficient trades through bundles. Kind of got on a tangent there, but no, that was, <laughs> that was all, that was, that was all great stuff. And yeah. uh, brings the question. Um, I wanted to ask you how you uh, look at a company like Flashbots and their development sort of, you know, first stake in yeah. the ground uh, for that, and how you think about how they've approached their ecosystem and uh, the products that they've built, um, and how mm-hmm. you kind of compare and contrast with your own roadmap. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that Flashbots like kind of started this whole industry. You know, they're certainly like role models to a lot of people building in this space. Um, I think that. They are maybe some, I think we're, we're kind of building like similar systems, you know, they're on Ethereum and they're starting to expand to this like suave chain, which is kind of like another chain that aim, that ends, aims to be the like ordering chain for all chains. Uh, it's like a dumb, dumb down way to put it, I guess. But, um, yeah, you're, you're seeing them like, They've been pretty heavy focused on like product. I would say probably more heavily focused on R and D. Uh, I think we we're kind of like the other way around where we were heavily focused on product and, uh, we're starting to do more R and D into like MEV as like a, from like a philosophy and like social standpoint. So we're kind of like tackling it from like different angles or different like priorities. I think that the system that's, and yeah, I guess that's kind of like the different ways that we like attack the problem. And, um, I think our systems are, uh, way more like high performance and like our server bills are 
pretty expensive compared to theirs, I'm sure. But um, yeah, we've kind of like taken like a very engineering heavy approach, just given the like challenges of Solana and the way that the network works where they are, um, you know, there's a lot that you can do in 11 seconds. So that's like another kind of difference between them and us. I guess one more is like, we kind of focused on like MEV distribution from the very beginning. It's like, how do we distribute? How do we like build the system to like permissionlessly and like automatically distribute MEV to stakers? Great. Chris, you had a follow up to that? Yeah. Um, our analyst, Othman, and I were taking a walk yesterday. We were talking about Jito. It was just after the Solana community call. Yeah. And he brought, he, he asked me a question about whether or not eventually, you know, what would happen if all the validators migrated to the Jito client? Yeah. And, you know, I started thinking about that. And to me, I was thinking about it two ways because one, when you think about flashbots, you know, Ethereum already has a number of different execution clients and um, consensus mm-hmm. clients. So if you overlay flashbots to that, it becomes a centralizing force in a way because you're now, you know, overlaying a single um, MEV layer over multiple clients. So one could make an argument that that's a centralizing force. When I initially thought about Jito, though, you know, Solana has had their single client and Jito is now a second client. So in a way, you know, I'm seeing that as good for client diversity on Solana. And then something you said yesterday during the community call stuck with me in that, you know, eventually you may look to do this as a plugin so that as more Solana clients are built out, you know, those clients can still operate, Jito can still operate. And then I think in a way you somewhat mitigate that potential centralizing influence of everybody migrating back to a single client. So I, I put two and two together there and I was wondering if that might be similar to the way you're thinking about things or it may intersect in any way with how you're thinking about future development. Yeah. So yeah, we started Jita Solana um, just so that we could kind of, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that we could have gone about it. We could have tried to like merge this code into Solana labs code. We just decided to like fork it off and like work on it kind of behind the scenes so that we could move faster. Um, now, you know, we're seeing uh, there's like 80 validators in 16% of stake is running the client. And yeah, as that starts to increase, it um, it's kind of scary from our side <laughs> just because of, you know, that's pretty crazy that like, software that labs and us built is running on like a billion dollars of stake. Like that's just kind of like mind blowing and scary. And, um, but yeah, as I guess like as the, as the amount of stake starts to grow on our client, uh, another issue that might come up is that Solana labs works very fast and, you know, they have like a hundred or more people. Our team is currently six engineers and like three core three or four like core Solana engineers that are familiar with the protocol. So there becomes a point where like we could potentially start slowing releases down because now like releases kind of have to go through Jito versus like the previous distribution mechanism was kind of through Solana labs. So it's like something that we're thinking a lot about, uh, as you mentioned, uh, earlier, 
on the call yesterday, I kind of talked about moving Jita to like a plugin model. So that's probably work that we'll look at in Q2 or Q3 of this year. Like how do we, you know, Geyser is this like amazing thing that the Solana Labs or I don't know who came up with it, but basically lets you kind of run like modifications easily in the validator client without having your own validator client. So that's Geyser, you know, kind of starting to think about like, what if there was a Jito plugin that kind of enabled like uh, potentially like your own transaction scheduler or things like that, that let you modify the source code without uh, like keeping it in the source code because it's a plugin. So I think that uh, I guess to wrap it up, that's something that we're going to look into probably Q2 or Q3. Um, we'd like to get Jita running as a plugin in the Solana Labs validator client. I think it would make the distribution mechanism easier. And then it also kind of sets us up to do the same for FireDancer. So once FireDancer is a little more well-developed, how do we get Jito integrated into FireDancer so that people can continue to like receive bundles and kind of help this MEV spam problem? And then, yeah, that's when it kind of starts to look that's when it starts to look more similar to like the Ethereum ecosystem and like MEV boost where it's like kind of running as a sidecar, like a separate binary and you, you have, it'll work with like a multiple number of clients. So you, you, you kind of touched on it uh, through this last little segment here, but uh, one of the closing things that I, I wanted to discuss a little bit is, is really that kind of, uh, evolution from practical to more social philosophical thinking about MEV, right? Like, as you mentioned, just the engineering problem of uh, 11 second block times versus like near instant block times that, that you're having on Solana. Um, and the fact that it's a less mature ecosystem, there are just so many problems that you have to solve before you can even really start zooming out to that level. Not that there's not always constant you know talk going on but you know solve the problem you have right and and so now that you guys are uh making progress along that path and are digging into more uh the social philosophical long-term implications of my vv and how we want to see this space develop uh wondering if you could just kind of comment on your long-term vision for mev on solana and maybe mev writ large and what that means for users yeah so I think we're just scratching the surface of MEV on Solana. I think there's like uh, the main question that we're trying to answer and we're like starting to answer now, like, is it possible to build these systems so that MEV can be efficiently extracted? And like, can we minimize the impact of like spam and like these like negative types of MEV extraction on users? I think that that's definitely possible, but that's kind of like the phase that we're in now. Past that, I think the some of the larger questions to answer, like on Solana, or like, is there a world where block building becomes more decentralized, like Ethereum, where you have like multiple block builders, multiple relayers? I don't think it'll look anything close to that, but from like a high level standpoint, like, is it possible? Is it is there a possibility of getting more parties involved to do this to where it's like more competitive and more fair for you for end users? 
And then I guess one other thing I just thought of kind of going back to the engineering side, but like, you know, when Solana starts to add these like more advanced features, like multiple block, multiple block producers at the same time and concurrent leaders, like how does that change the engineering? And then also like the uh, social component of it as well uh, with like more competition, better prices for users and things like that. And then, yeah, I guess like moving on towards that, I think that there's a lot of protocols on Ethereum that take MEV very seriously. And I think that Solana is like still somewhat immature in that regard where there might be uh, a lot of devs that don't understand MEV or don't understand the impact of MEV on their users or like the applications that they're designing. So definitely looking forward to like seeing that develop a little more mature where you have protocols thinking about MEV and the impact, I guess the MEV that they're exposing their users to and starting to see, uh, you know, less impact on the chain, less impact on users from people that are designing these applications. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, long-term, it'll be very interesting to see how MEV evolves. I think, you know, I've been doing like a little planning for just like Jito, like what does, what do things look like two or five years out? I think it's like crypto moves so fast that it's like really, really hard to think about that type of stuff. But um, yeah, I think like a year out, I feel pretty confident on where things will be, but past that it's like, it starts to get very hazy, like on crypto, crypto at like a high level is gets hazy, but also like MEV uh, just because it's like such a, it's like a new industry that's being formed, like as we speak. Yeah. And gets highly informed by how the use cases, like what people are actually doing, you know, we board, yeah. onboard the next, you know, 50 million users and <laughs> who knows, maybe they're doing something that, <laughs> we haven't even thought of. I mean, it, it's not, yeah. not, wouldn't be the first time that that's happened. Um, yeah. Chris, uh, I'll, I'll leave the closing thoughts, uh, with you. I don't know if you have anything you want to ask or add before we wrap up here. Well, hearing you say that toward the end, we just released some research we've been doing about onboarding users, primarily to advocate for, you know, the additional growth of open source and open source wallets on Solana. And one of mm-hmm. our findings has been, especially in talking to token holders or you know even people looking to get into Solana for the first time, is that the number of people who really even know what staking is, is much, much lower than we would have anticipated, which I guess you know we have a bias because that's where we live. So I imagine that the number of people who know what MEV is is even a smaller fraction of that. So <laughs> yeah. it sounds like... I think to Lucas's point, there's a big opportunity for us to really start to educate people early about what MEV is and, you know, the good and the bad and how people can both protect themselves from it and, you know, help the network grow through it in a way. So I think Mm. there's probably a really big opportunity there that, you know, both bigger operators and smaller operators can jump in and help out with. Yeah. And, you know, I think my, my closing thought is just thanks to you and your team for providing this tool because I really, really am grateful for it. And, you know, I think a lot of other smaller operators are too because it really helps us provide, you know, what we feel is a valuable service to, 
to our delegators that we probably wouldn't be able to do without it. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for that. I'll definitely uh, forward that to the team. It's like, that's kind of like why we work so late and work so hard. So it means a lot to hear you say that. Yeah, it's appreciated. Great. Well, Lucas, thanks for your time. And we'll we'll end on those warm fuzzies. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks. Bye now.